Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Hey, it's good to be back here again. Good to, to be able to see everyone, um, for me to be able to look down on everyone again. Um, it's really cool. Now, today we're going to be continuing the journey through the book of Philippians, but just, just as an intro, I just want to reflect briefly on the fact that uh, through this church, over the years, we've seen many, many people come to faith, which has been just tremendously exciting. And what's been really, really exciting is when we see people go on in their faith and invariably we see their lives, but not only their lives, their family lives changing as well. And just some of the transformational work that has happened, not by us, but by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, has just been absolutely incredible. But sadly, at the same time, we've also seen some people fall away. We've seen some people who've started really well in their, their faith and then after a while they, they just... Um, that joy that they first had, they get used to it and I think they take it for granted and uh, the zeal that they had for their faith, the passion that they had for their faith starts to dim after a while. Let's be honest, that happens in all all areas of our life unless we're conscious about building uh, into our faith. It happens in marriages, it happens in friendships, Uh, It happens with a joy that you might have at work. Unless you're conscious about adopting the attitudes which will help you you go on. And one of the things that I know I've found incredibly sad is seeing, you know, some people who have fallen away from their faith and seeing what's happened to their families and seeing, um, yeah, it it hasn't always been good. And you see people just go off the rails and, and their families go off the rails. Uh, parents who have a faith and they stop coming to church thinking that they don't need church to have their faith. The children see the families, uh, the parents not coming to church not ha- and they, they presume the faith isn't there anymore and the children become a, a, a generation without Christ. It is so sad, so sad. Now, um, today we're going to be getting some great wisdom from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles there, Please turn to it. It will be up on the screen. Uh, but it's such a great chapter. It's, there's so much in this chapter uh, that we're going to be unpacking. Now, Paul has been writing to the Philippians, describing to them how they can have a faith that works. And with that faith, bringing about a deep-seated happiness in, in their life. Now, he isn't talking about how everything in your life needs to be perfect to have happiness. No, as you'll see uh, probably next week, uh, when Jono's speaking, he's talking about the fact that we can have this happiness which isn't just superficial, but it's a deep-centred joy in our life which will sustain us through even the most difficult of times. And I think um, chapter 3, which we're about to look at, it starts with an interesting statement. And I bet you it's a statement that you've generally overlooked if you've read chapter 3 before. Um, it's, it's just one of those almost insignificant couple of words that we tend to, to gloss over as we actually look uh, for the more substances in the chapter. But I think these two words, um, or three words that we're about to look at, are actually the key to the whole chapter, and it's the key to our attitude. You see, Paul writes that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Now, let, let's be honest, Who, who's ever read this chapter before and really pondered on what these couple of words actually mean. Has anyone here actually done that? No, I think we just go straight straight through, straight past. But I want now to take a few minutes around your tables for you just to have some discussion about what Paul actually means by this very simple statement. So off you go and we'll be back in a few minutes to get some feedback. Okay, have we had enough time? So, who, who wants to give me some feedback? Have we got some microphones about to be raced around by any chance? Oh, Mary and Sarah, yep, fantastic. So, who, who's first? Jeff. Uh, we're just discussing that probably a modern interpretation would be how to celebrate in the Lord and to be grateful for the gifts that God's given us in our lives. Yeah, great. 
Great. Who else? Caleb. Um, so we said the same thing as Jeff, uh, celebrating the Lord, but not being afraid to do it open, not being afraid to do it openly yep. in front of people, because it's, um, yeah, being able to celebrate in the Lord and rejoicing with the Lord openly in front of no matter who your crowd is, but also reading the the verse, also looking at where Paul is writing this. Paul's writing this in jail, yeah. and um, he's finding that he can rejoice in the Lord where he is. So. It, no matter where your situation, you can rejoice in the Lord as well. Yeah, no, it's great. Thanks, Carla. One more. Ah, it's me. Jerry. <laughs> I just think that it says rejoice in the Lord. And when it says that, it says it doesn't matter what the circumstances are or how you're feeling and also in whether you've got sickness or pain in your life, you can always rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, no, that's great. I think, I think that's, a, that's a real key. So let me just give you a couple of points. As Jerry was just saying, you must have read my notes because uh, uh, I was saying that it's not a feeling that Paul is urging us to do, but a choice that he's actually urging us to make. He's actually calling us to make a choice about this. And it's an instruction where Paul is instructing us about an attitude that we're actually to have about Jesus. So Paul is telling us to have joy or delight in Jesus because of who he is, but also because of what he's done for us. And so the two go hand in hand, who, who he is, Jesus who he is, and what he's done for us. So we're to, to have joy or delight uh, in that. And this choice is a, key, is a key to having a faith that is going to work because it's actually a choice that we can make daily. It's a choice that we can make multiple times through the day. It's an ongoing choice that we can make. It's not just a, uh, when we feel like it, but rather it will help shape our attitude, shape our faith, as we remember who Jesus is and what he's done, uh, done for us. Paul went on to say why well, this is so important. He said, um, it's a safeguard for you. Uh, he said, it's not a problem for me to tell you these same things again and again and again and again if necessary because you need to hear it because it's a safeguard for you. You see, Paul was concerned that if we don't make Jesus our number one focus, we would end up going down the wrong track. And instead of having a faith that worked and brought uh, deep satisfaction to our lives, we would end up with a form of religion that just didn't work and that ch uh, where we chase the wrong things in life. And that's so easy to do, where we actually um, move away from this beautiful relationship that Jesus wants us to have and move into a religion which is actually based on you do this and you don't do that, and a set, a set of rules, where the rules actually overtakes the relationship. And I don't know if you know, but any form of relationship, it cannot survive in a healthy way if it's actually based on rules. You know, you imagine with your husband or wife, um, or boyfriend or girlfriend, if a relationship was strictly about you'll turn up at such and such a time, uh, you'll have tea ready for me at such and such a time, uh, you'll do this, you'll do that. If that was the basis for your relationship, I think you'd be looking for a way out pretty quick because there's so much more for relationship. Now, in our culture, in our country, in the Western world in particular, in fact, all around the world, there's so many people who have come to realise that religion doesn't cut it. The relationship with Jesus does. And there's so many people who are walking away from religion, but at the same time, there are people who are finding a vibrant, living relationship with Jesus and they're finding their lives and eternities are being transformed. And so, friends, as we look through this chapter here, of what, what Paul was saying, we're going to see that relationship is so much more important than religion. In fact, religion is a very, very poor substitute uh, for relationship. And so Paul is urging us to rejoice in the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for us and be thankful for that. Rejoice in the Lord. Keep on doing it. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul goes on to, to point out a dead end uh, that so many of us have wandered down. It, it's where we put our trust in what we do rather than Jesus and what he's done. I remember uh, one, uh, there was a family that came to Tauras for a number of years, some years ago. And um, one day, the father of the family was bemoaning to me about how things weren't going all that good. And some things in his family had started unravelling, uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, thing, and, and he couldn't work it out. And his comment to me was, Tim, I just don't understand it. 
We've tithed faithfully. We've even been more generous than, uh, than that. We've, we've given generously at times. I don't swear. We don't use bad language. We don't do really bad things. So why is all this happening to us? I was in despair when I heard that. I thought, haven't you got anything? You know, but, but God does not owe us. God does not owe us favour when we actually do good things for him. Rather, our faith is actually based on relationship. And um, there's grace. Grace is right at the cornerstone of our relationship. And grace is all about the fact that we receive what we don't deserve. And when Jesus died on the cross, we received the opportunity to have eternal life, receive the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit come and flood into our lives and be with us uh, for an eternity to guide us on this life and, and see us uh, going through to the next life. We have not deserved that. No matter how perfect a life we, we live or try to live, there's no way that we've deserved that. And that's what grace is all about. That's what the grace of God is all about. So Paul urges us to have a different kind of faith uh, where you put your trust in Jesus and what he has done rather than putting your trust in what you have done. Now Paul warns about the people who are running around saying that Jesus alone wasn't enough. He, 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 he warns about how they peddled a form of religion which was not just based on Jesus, but it was Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus doing these things, Jesus plus obeying these rules, Jesus uh, plus being the right, you know, right kind of person, Jesus plus circumcision is, is in this particular case here. They were saying, these people were saying, okay, you've, you've accepted Jesus, you're Christians, but really you need to be circumcised still. Uh, and you're not legitimate unless you've also been circumcised as well. And Paul was saying, no, no, no. And, you know, Paul called them some pretty, pretty ugly things because they were trying to convince people that you need, uh, you need more than just Jesus to be acceptable to God. Well, Jesus didn't come to bring religion. He came to abolish religion. And he did this because he wanted us to know him and to trust him rather than just trusting a bunch of religious rules where we just go through a ritual um, every day. Paul said, we serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. And we don't put any confidence in what we can do ourselves. That's the essence of what Paul was saying here. Paul then went on to list some of his religious credentials. He said, he, he, he said how he'd been through all the rituals that there were. Uh, his national heritage was impeccable. He came from the right family and the right, right grouping, the right tribe. His religious training was second to none. And the way that he practised his religion was absolutely faultless. But Paul says even that wasn't enough. Even his impressive credentials weren't enough. So he told us that we must reevaluate our priorities just like he had done. In fact, he, he called all of his a loss, all these great credentials. You know, you look at his resume, which was uh, absolutely impeccable, and he was basically just ripping up that resume and saying, <coughs> and in doing that, he was saying that our number one priority was to really know Jesus. He, he said that he now saw that everything that he had previously valued as important, was in reality worthless when compared to this one thing of knowing Jesus in this way. Now, what Paul says also translates over to us. You know, we go through life putting, ascribing value to other things and wanting to define our, ourselves by, by various things. I mean, I, I, some of you know my story as well, or bits of my story. But as a young man, I wanted success. Um, you know, many of you have heard that I wanted to, be, wanted to have a successful career in, uh, and also a successful business, be successful in business. And my early goal, which to me sounds so superficial now, uh, mightn't you? I don't know. But my early goal was that I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And I was basically on track to get there. Um, I was offered a partnership in an accounting firm when I was in my mid-20s and I'd completed a, a, a successful uh, I've successfully completed a very, very gruelling uh, entrepreneurship program, year-long entrepreneurship program, which is teaching much about entrepreneurship and innovation and that kind of thing. And I was climbing the different ladders around the place. Um, 
things were looking good and I was really set up for success. But then I met Jesus when I was about 26. I had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and my heart started changing. You know, I'd grown up going to a Catholic school and so I knew who Jesus was, I believed in Jesus. Um, but it's a bit like knowing about someone but not actually knowing them. Um, we all know who Scott Morrison is, don't we? I think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Stephen said, I hope so. Come on, let Stephen exhort you here. I hope so. Yeah, we, we know who he is and um, I think we know various things about him and I know people who know him personally but do I really know him? No, I've never actually met him. I don't know him. And so it's a bit like that with Jesus, where we can know a lot about Jesus, but Jesus wants to have an encounter with you, with each and every one of you, where you come to know him. He already knows you, but he wants you to open that door where you actually come and you meet him face to face and you come into a relationship with him. For myself, you know, I've been through, as I said, knowing who Jesus was and having a belief there. And yet there was a, a, a day that I clearly remember when Jesus came looking for me and was going through this dialogue in my head about, um, I felt him saying, I want you to live your life my way now. I want to get, really get to know you. I want you to come to know me. And I wanted to keep him at arm's length because I wasn't ready to live life his way. I wasn't ready to actually uh, to, to come in behind him. I wanted to be able to go through life doing my own thing and looking at him from afar probably, for a period of time anyway. And he kept on saying, I want you to live your life my way. I want you to do that. I want you to live your life my way. And I remember it was almost like a dialogue that I was having. And in the end I felt so worn down by it. I said, okay, Lord, have it your own way. Have it your own way. And... That's the day that I started changing because that was the day I'd actually submitted my own will, my own life to the Lordship of Christ and I'd make, made coming to really know Jesus as a priority. I'd say it took a while to really truly become the number one priority. It didn't just happen in an instant. But from that day on, my heart started changing. Now, the Apostle Paul talking about his impeccable resume. Uh, you can read it on the screen. He said, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he goes on to say, I can... I consider them garbage. Garbage is not a strong enough word, really, for what it was really intended to mean. The real meaning is like, you know when you have organic waste and you actually put it on, uh, it's ready to be thrown out and it's all juicy and it's all... That's what he's saying. And another translation of this word is actually dung. And um, he, he's saying that all of this is like, beep, basically. That, that's how much... He valued all of, all of these things now compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. All of these things that he'd set his life on, all of these things that he, 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 he was trying to excel in, were beep compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. Did you like that? <laughs> I've been practising that. <laughs> I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not by trying to be perfect, by, by obeying all the rules and regulations, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So righteousness being made right with God came as a gift because of what Jesus had done. It was never something that he could actually earn. Now, coming back to, to my journey, you know, as I was saying, it, it didn't all come in an instant. You know, you, you accept Jesus into your life, but then there's a journey in front of you. Um, his Holy Spirit worked in me more and more, shaping my desires, changing my heart. 
And bit by bit, things that were most important to me uh, started dropping off, started dropping away. And I felt him testing me, asking if he was really my priority and not those other things. One example was about the partnership in the accounting firm. I felt he wanted uh, me to lay the partnership uh, on the altar and leave it behind. Now, I'm sure Ros and Dallas, would, uh, as examples here, would, would know, but for someone in their 20s, becoming a partner in your accounting firm, it's, it's, the, it's the big goal. It's, it's, it's like the Holy Grail. It's what you, you want. It's what you're working for. And uh, it's a huge attainment, uh, as these guys know, to actually to get there. But I felt God was saying, I want you to put it on the altar because it's not really that important. And so when I was 26, I, I resigned. I resigned from that place and didn't have another job to go to and soon picked up another job. But what I didn't realise at the time that I, I resigned, and in doing that I was trusting God, God would open doorways which are far greater than the one that I had in front of me. But when I was in that situation in that accounting firm, I, I had no idea of the enormity of the doorways that, that God had in front of me. And so the life of faith, the life of faith is choosing the life that, that Jesus actually opened sits in front of us and it means that we've often got to let go of trying to control our own destiny and what we think is best and what we think is right if he is urging us to go down a pathway and if he is working in our heart and if we'll allow him to work in our heart he'll take us on an incredible journey another area where i know i remember god was testing me um, back when I was 27, Sharon and I um, bought a property five minutes from here and on five acres of lovely views over the river <coughs> for the princely sum of $98,000, which doesn't seem much these days, but it was a, a good price back then. And uh, I loved that property. I loved the five acres. I loved being able to get out and, and chop wood and do things outside and, and that. And... Um, I felt God saying, will you lay it down for me? And this one took a real long time to work through because I didn't want to. And, and after a period of time, I don't know how long, it sure wasn't five minutes, um, but after a period of time, I came to the point of saying, well, God, if you want me to lay it down, I will. And I had a real peace about that. 33 years later, it was still there. Um, God has... God asked me if I would be prepared to lay it down, but he didn't ask me to lay it down. But you see, the difference is that whereas looking back, I see that the property used to own me. Uh, now I see how Jesus owns me and I own the property, but I can actually let go of that property at any point of time if we want. So these things that we, we value, Jesus wants to is to come to the point of saying, I consider it all loss compared to the incredible, indescribable experience of knowing you, Jesus. He makes, he wants us to make really knowing him our number one priority. You know, Paul went on to say that he really wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. You see, it's that power that changes lives and eternities. It's that power that defeats sin and death. And who wouldn't want to know Jesus this way? Realistically, who wouldn't want to know Jesus with that resurrection power that was here available for each and every one of us, working in us, changing us, transforming us, setting us free from the strongholds of sin that are over our lives? But it comes at a price. You see, we must be prepared to die to our old life to truly experience this new life and our old priorities and, and make Jesus our number one priority. That's a price that we must be prepared to pay. And when we do, Jesus takes us on a journey where he wants us to continue to focus on him and to stay on track as we journey through life, keeping on track, keeping him as our focus. Next, Paul then urges us to all make living for Jesus, our single-minded focus, to make sure that we not only have our priorities right, 
but that we actually have our lives in sync with these priorities. He said, not that I've already obtained this, he said, he's on the journey too, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm on a journey, but I can, see the, I can see the target, I can see the finishing line, and I'm pressing on. I want to cross that finishing line. Nothing is going to get in my way. Nothing is going to distract me and change my focus. And he said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But you know, he was single-minded in his focus. And it's easy to forget that our, our faith is a journey and that there will be distractions that come along. You know, Jesus told us a, a parable about the farmer sowing some seed. I'm sure many of you know that particular parable. And he talked about uh, the fact that some people are put off when trials and persecution come. That's pretty, pretty sad. It happens. It ha happens. We need to understand that Jesus isn't Father Christmas and that being a Christian doesn't entitle us to a three-pass avoiding the hard times in life. Sadly, where I see more people falling away, or I see many people falling away, it's not through the hard times, but it's the good times. Because the good times bring a distraction. The more wealth we have, the more uh, choices we have, Often we get to the point of not needing God as much because we, we, we can manufacture our own comfort in life. And that's where a lot of people will fall away as well. And Jesus becomes a, an add-on to our life rather than that central focus that Paul was talking about. You know, when, when we, we make Jesus that central focus, he will be with us. He will journey through life with us, through the good times and the bad. And when we need comforting, he will be there. Last week I was talking to a friend in Queensland and sadly his mum had just died. And um, uh, this friend um, was with his mum as she was... She'd had a stroke and so she took a while. She was in bed. She wasn't, wasn't well. And then right towards the end she'd been saying how much she was looking forward to being with Jesus. And she started talking about, I can't wait to be there before Jesus uh, with my horse. I just can't wait for that. And my friend thought, with your horse? He had no idea what she was talking about. And then the father explained that when mum was young, when she was up to, you know, probably up to the time that she got married, she had a horse and she, and she lived on a farm and she loved her horse. She absolutely loved riding her horse, caring for her horse, Everything about the horse he just loved. But my friend didn't know about that until the father explained. Then the friend was talking to his brother who was in the United States um, some days later. And uh, the brother said, look, I had this incredible dream last night. It was, it was like mum standing there with Jesus, but there was a horse there as well. And my friend was able to explain to, to his brother about the fact of mum having a, had a horse uh, when she was young. You see, we've got a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine or understand. How did that brother know what was, mum was saying? How God is a dream giver. How God will speak to us in so many different ways. How God will never leave us. As it says in Romans chapter 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, neither height nor depth or anything else will separate us from this love. And so when we make living for Jesus our single-minded focus, we can be sure of his promise that he'll be there with us. He'll even walk through the darkest times of our life with us. And have enough times for us to turn away from Jesus to look for a different alternative or a different answer. There are the times when we, we need his comfort. I was talking to... Uh, someone a few weeks ago in another state and I was really saddened by this and the person who's a Christian uh, said that they, they weren't going to engage in their church uh, for the next six months or so because they were going to devote that to building their business. And I just grieved at that but there was not a lot I could say in this particular situation. But I felt, what are you doing? You're putting Jesus into a box in your life instead of 
instead of having Jesus right at the centre of your life and Jesus involved in building your business or your ministry or whatever, you're cordoning it off because you think that you know better and you can do better without drawing close to Jesus through this time because you actually think that spending time with Jesus is actually going to hamper the building of your business. That is, that is total and utter rubbish. I've come to realise whether it's in ministry or business, I cannot do it without having Jesus right at the core of my life. And when I do that, there are doorways that, are, that open, like I mentioned after I left the accounting firm, there are doorways that, are, that open which I could never even see without being introduced there by Jesus. There are doorways which I could never walk through, never, never open without him. Paul had this single-minded focus about doing life with Jesus. You know, Paul goes on to state that keeping Jesus as our priority is actually a sign of our maturity. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Don't, don't worry about it if you've got some points of difference. Don't worry about it. Don't get offended. Don't go looking for another church. Just, just chill out about that. But all of us who are mature should take such a view of things about Jesus making Jesus our single-minded focus. And then he goes on to say, only let us live up to what we have already attained. You see, immaturity is when we profess one thing, but our lives tell a different story. Our lives should live up to the faith that we profess. And to do that, we need to make sure that we're not distracted, but have a single-minded focus on living for Jesus. Paul then tells us that there are two further things that we need to keep on track. One is to position yourself around good role models. You know, these are people who can help you by their example and, and encouragement to live better and more godly lives. Paul says here, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So it's not just Paul, but the people who follow uh, Jesus and who follow Paul live their lives as they would. Uh, we're to look at those as well and have them as role models who encourage us in our faith and keep us, help us to keep on track. And Paul goes on, for as I've often told you before, now tell you, tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Friends, we need to position ourselves around people who will lift us up and help us keep on track and who will help us grow in our faith, not people who will just chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away and influence away from our faith. It doesn't mean that we need to be a clone to those people. No, not at all. Each one of us will have our own unique expression of our faith, but that uniqueness is about the working out of the faith that we hold in common. But many don't live that way. And Paul issues us with a warning not to follow them or imitate their lives. The second point here is that we need to live with heaven in mind. Now the passage concludes by saying that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friends, if you've made knowing Jesus your number one priority, even though you still have a pulse and you still walk on this earth, you are a saint. Did you know that? Modern translations don't use that a lot. Um, but the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul will often refer to people like us as saints because we're living for eternity. We have eternities in our hearts. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. So how does it feel to be called a saint, hey? Does that feel like you've got a bit of a promotion here today? <laughs> but that's what you are. When we live with that identity and understanding that, it becomes much more important than knowing that you're a, a teacher or a nurse 
or a carer or a student or an accountant or a business person or a front of house uh, worker, hospitality worker or a chef. See, we often, I think, undervalue who we are in God's eyes by defining ourselves according to our occupation. But let's finish this by defining ourselves according to, to eternity. Thanks, Kate. About the fact that, that we are saints. It should become our number one identity. And our address is not one waterfront drive. Our address is that we're a citizen of heaven. That's where we belong. But we're on here, on earth, for a season. And we have work to do whilst we're here. So just in finishing, I guess what we've been through today is five habits that will help you stay on track. And I want you to just consider these. The first of them is put your trust in Jesus and what he has done rather than what you will do. The second is make really knowing Jesus your number one priority. Now I know some of you have fallen away from that. Some have fallen away from that, but it's not too late. You can come back. Instead of fitting Jesus into a busy lifestyle, you can fit your busy lifestyle around Jesus. And if you have slipped away and if you need to come back to this priority, do it today. Make that decision today. Make living for Jesus your single-minded focus. As Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all the rest will come to you. <laughs> the way we tend to naturally want to do it is seek all the rest, and then we'll try and uh, seek, for, seek next his kingdom and his righteousness. We do it the, the wrong way around. Position yourselves around good role models. And that's one of the great things about a healthy church community. Because as we develop friendships with other people who are passionate Christ followers, people who are intent on, on going on that journey of wanting to, to um, rejoice in the Lord and living their lives as if they do, that will encourage us along our, our journey. And friends, live with heaven in mind. Know that we are saints who are still on this earth, yet to be promoted to glory. But whilst we're here, the Holy Spirit is working in us as we allow him to, shaping us, transforming us bit by bit by bit so that we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Not just when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord as a lifestyle. Rejoice in the Lord as a daily choice. Let's just uh, stand. I want to pray as we close. Holy Father, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I ask that you fall upon each and every person here today, that you saturate us in your holy presence. Come, Holy Spirit, come and, and touch us, fall upon us, speak to us, draw us back if we need to be drawn back. Help us rejoice in the Lord. Help us make Jesus our single-minded focus. Help us make Jesus our priority. Take us, take our lives on the altar. And Lord, for whatever's holding us back, whatever attitude that we have, whatever sin that we have, which has a stranglehold over us, we, we, we cut it in the name of Jesus. We break it off in the name of Jesus. We declare it in Jesus' name and break it in Jesus' name so that we will be free to follow Jesus and that our heart's desire will be to rejoice in the Lord and to follow Jesus. And Lord, for those that are here today who are, have perhaps fallen back, and have taken their eyes off Jesus. Father God, I pray for you. I thank you for your grace and I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us and urge us and to compel us to make that decision to come back to Jesus. 
Lord, we break off apathy in the mighty name of Jesus. We break off busyness that, that relegates Jesus to the second place. Well, Lord, we, we put Jesus back on the throne of our life that we will be his and that our lives will be his. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your favour. And we thank you that we are saints who are walking this earth. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.